0: Welcome back to here in Apologetics. Super, super pumped that you could join us today. Zach's going to be interviewing me, Squared, about uh, Molinism and foreknowledge and stuff. How you doing, Zach? I'm
1: good, Squared. How are you? Mm-hmm. Thanks for joining
0: me. I- I'm doing good as well. Yeah. Ha- happy to be here. Uh, super, super pumped, as I said, to be talking about uh, foreknowledge and all this fun stuff. Yeah. So I, yeah. I-, I hear you're not completely convinced of Molinism. And so I'm here to change that, you know? By this video, you're going to be a staunch Molinist and nobody will be able to change <laughs> your mind.
1: These next 60 to 90 minutes are going to change my life completely in terms of that, and I'll be a Molinist forever and ever. for Sith yep. this day. So, yeah. I'm yeah.
0: Sorry. Or if not, uh, well, you'll just be a Molinist after you die and then be a Molinist forever and ever.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Sounds <laughs> Another good.
0: Another perk of heaven, it makes everybody a Molinist. <laughs>
1: there Anyways. we
0: go. Yeah, so um, there are going to be like... For the, this video, I was hoping we could just compare like the five main views of how God runs the world, so to speak, and uh, judge them in four different categories. So the five views that we'll be comparing are process theism, divine determinism, open theism, simple foreknowledge, and of course, the true view, Molinism. Mm-hmm. I'm going to stop uh, being jokingly biased in a second. Anyways, um, process theism, I'm not going to go into these super de- uh, deeply, um, if you're watching this video, you're somewhat expected to already know what these views are, but very briefly, process theism is the view that, a, a crass way to put it, is God is not all-powerful. He uh, can raise the probability of getting what he wants, but he can't actually ensure what that he gets what he wants. <clears throat> so he, he's not all-powerful in the traditional sense. Divine determinism, that's on the complete opposite end of the spectrum. Um, a crass way to put it, this view is that we're all just robots without free will of course divine determinists will reject that sort of language but again this is just to get you bare bones idea of the views we're talking about essentially they deny that there's any indeterminism so god could just directly get what he wants deterministically no problems again <laughs> i'm putting these in a crass way which the proponents of these views might not like i'm just trying to give you a kind of sense of what these views are open theism essentially God is omnipotent in the traditional sense, and we do have free will with the ability to choose between multiple options, but God doesn't know the future. Um, Simple foreknowledge. God does know the future and has uh, traditional omnipotence, but this knowledge of the future doesn't actually do anything for him. Well, most simple foreknowledgeists would say this because of um, weird philosophical problems with circular explanations of prophecies. Anyways... And finally, there's Molinism, where God does not only know the um, past, present, future, but he also knows what we would do in any circumstance, including uh, like possible and non-actual circumstances, even though those uh, circumstances have indeterministic free will, not deterministic free will. That was it. super quick. Again, that wasn't supposed to be able to teach you all the views. You're supposed to, you're supposed to already know them if you're watching this video, did that come across as rude? No.
1: No, I think that was great. Yeah. Okay,
0: cool. Um, so now the four categories that we're going to be judging these five uh, five views of how God runs the world are, uh, first, uh, how it responds to the problem of evil, how the Bible lines up with these views. What, what was my next one? Oh, yeah, uh, how it lines up with perfect being, theism, and finally, like, the philosophical baggage of each of these views. So let's start off with and how these views, like, answer the problem of evil. How well do they answer the problem of evil? So process theism, let's start there. It answers the problem of evil perfectly, spectacularly. It's just kind of built into process theism that, that you have an answer to why there's evil. God just can't stop it. He's not powerful enough, basically. Uh, divine determinism, well, it's, it's kind of the opposite of process theism, so it does terribly, It, at least as far as I could tell. It's very hard to see what kinds of Um, greater goods God can get by allowing evil. Uh, Maybe comparing it to other views would be helpful. So other views of, um, like, uh, open theism, simple foreknowledge, and Molinism, they could essentially say that, hey, uh, God would love to get these greater goods, but um, free will has thrown a wrench into the works, so God has to allow some evils to get at these greater goods. And then they can cash that out however they want. Um, But the divine determinist can't say that because if we have free will, it's not going to be the sort of thing that adds indeterminism into the mix. So it's not clear what anything could be doing, like, what could be doing the stopping uh, God, what could be the wrench that's thrown into the system that's uh, forcing God to allow all these evils. Um, Now, I do actually have some divine determinist friends, some Calvinist friends, and I'll let you know what they say. Um, They say, like, you know, uh, there's these, some greater goods logically require certain evils. Like here's one uh, really great good, God showing us that he's a healer. Okay. That's a really great good, but it logically requires that God allows sickness to occur so that he could then heal it. And then that's how he shows us that he's a healer. He can't do that without allowing sickness. That uh, theodicy, I don't find particularly plausible, but I mean, that's, the kind of theodicy that a divine determinist has to offer something there's um the only way to get at these greater goods it's logically required that we allow evil next is open theism you had william hasker on um a little while ago so i think the theodicy he gave basically made a distinction between like um having free will and like respecting free will the way i think of it is like say you're chained to a wall i mean technically you still have free will you could choose between um, like forcing your left arm against the chains or forcing your right arm against the chains. And um, you could have like, that could be an indeterministic decision and which uh, possible world you actualize is completely up to you. But even though you have free will in that circumstance, your free will isn't respected. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So then the open theist will say, God doesn't just want a world where we have free will. He wants a world where we respect, where he respects our free will. But if he respects our free will, then that means actually what that entails happens to be allowing us our decisions to have effects that bring about great evils. So why are there people who murder other people? Well, if God went around just stopping it every time we went to murder somebody, that wouldn't be respecting our free will, even though if he went around stopping murders that we could still have free will. Um, And also, maybe you could extend this to um, natural evils like hurricanes that um, miracles in general have to be rare to respect free will. Something like that. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to go too much deeper because I myself am not an open theist. Uh, Simple foreknowledge. Simple foreknowledge is really interesting because as I I was hinting at earlier, um, it doesn't actually have any more providential uh, abilities like it d- knowing the future doesn't grant God any extra abilities over and above open theism, and most theologians tend to recognize this. Um, if the reason why is, um, ba- basically that it would create an explanatory circle if God, um, based his decision on how the way the future was, but the only way the future is going to be the way it's going to be is because God makes a particular decision. So if God actually makes any sort of decisions based on his foreknowledge, then you get this explanatory loop. The future is the way it is because of God's decision, and God's decision is the way it is because of the future. So then uh, the simple foreknowledge is that the word, simple foreknowledge They can't actually offer any sort of theodicy over and above what the open theist offers. Mm. Oh, Molinism. So, uh, Excuse me. Um, William Hasker says that uh, said in the video that essentially Molinism can't give much of a theodicy. Uh, they have to appeal to skeptical theism. I disagree. I actually have developed a theodicy that re- relies specifically on Molinism, and I have a video on that on my channel called the Heavenly Rebellion Theodicy. Have you seen that one, Zach?
1: I've I don't, I've seen some of your stuff. I don't know if I'm specifically thinking of that video. Um, not of, okay. of my head, I can't remember.
0: Basically, w- what I posit there is that um, we have free will in heaven that's comparable to our free will on earth, or even like the free will Satan had before, prior to rebellion, free will Adam and Eve had in the Garden of Eden. Basically, we will have the ability to sin in heaven, and we just won't. And the reason why we won't is because God um, has to manage an infinity of of variables, every one of our free choices in heaven, he manages the circumstances so that we never actually uh, rebel and we never actually do sin in heaven, but that's so difficult he has to allow for some evil on earth in order to achieve that goal. I spell that out more in my video, so I'm not going to go too much deeper into it, but like there are some Molinism specific theodicies. Now, the reason why I'm going through all of these is because now is now's the interesting part. Molinism can co-opt everything, uh, the every piece of theodicy that the divine determinist can offer. So the Molin if the divine determinist can say that God needs to allow sickness because um, it's the only way that he could show he, he's a healer. Well, there's nothing stopping a, the Molinist from giving this exact same theodicy. That's why oh yeah, that's why um God allows um Why the Molinist God allows sickness, it's to show that he's a healer. If the divine determinist can say that and it's a plausible theodicy, I don't think it is, but if it was hypothetically a plausible theodicy, the Molinist could give the same theodicy. So they could co-opt every answer the divine determinist can. Maybe the open theist could. I don't know if they could because um, like, they aren't as... On the open theism, God isn't certain what's actually going to come of a particular event. There's like an infinite way infinite number of ways that the uh, present could unfold, or the future could unfold, the present could unfold into the future. So it's, uh, there's not the same ability to ensure that a greater good comes from an evil if it's uh, future-oriented. But whatever the divine determinists can give, the Molinists can definitely co-opt. And the open theist, whatever theodicy they could give, the Molinists could co-opt. So, for for example, like um, if it's not respecting of free will to use one's omnipotence to constantly micromanage the the various circumstances we're in, well, then the Molinist could say, well, God doesn't use his middle knowledge to micromanage um, circumstances. The Molinist could also give an equivalent theodicy to the open theist. Like, um, if that's not clear, here's an analogy. Um, Say that uh, somebody broke a ton of laws and he went to court and the judge has to make a decision, but the the uh, person standing before him, the person who broke all the laws, is actually his son, the judge's son. Well, what the judge would have to do is bracket his knowledge that this is his that this is his son, and make a judgment independent of that. So what the Mullinist might have, what the Molinist might say is that, hey, if um, using middle knowledge can't respect free will, then God has to choose what world to create while bracketing his middle knowledge, at least mostly.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So then um, the any sort of theodicy that the open theist can give, like um, that he can't, that, that God doesn't intervene to stop evils, that um, God didn't stop this evil because he didn't see that it was going to happen, those sorts of things. The Molinists can co-opt all that and use those theodicies as well. So at the end of the day, when we're judging how all these views compare to the problem of evil, um, process theism technically wins by default. Basically, it was created in a laboratory specifically to answer the problem of evil. At least that's kind of the mental picture I have. But setting that aside, Molinism can um, co-opt every other theodicy, every other view's theodicy on the table and incorporate it. So that means that if the divine determinism can answer the problem of evil, then Molinism more so. If open theism can answer the problem of evil, then Molinism more so. And simple foreknowledge, I mean, they don't do any better than open theism. So Molinism is going to be the best of that lot.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I think that's great. So what you're getting at, squared is when we're looking at these different views of God and like models of God, um, and like looking at like foreknowledge and stuff, you're saying Molinism is going to do pretty well in answering the problem of evil because like whether you're like the Calvinist or the open theist or like simple foreknowledge, um, monism can use all those theodicies and it can kind of mix and match to see like what's the best one within all these other different views with the exception of process theism.
0: Yes. Um, and like, yeah, process theism, it does win out in the problem of evil. I'm going to admit that, but it, like does fairly poorly in every other category mm-hmm. that we're going to look at. So yeah, I'm definitely. not too worried about that. Um, essentially Molinism, I like to think either it's a, it's a draw in most cases or Molinism comes out on top. Mm-hmm. And the, this one, Molinism doesn't technically come out on top process theism gets and last in so many others that okay well it is it essentially comes out on top here okay. mm-hmm. so the next view that we're going to look or the next category that i'm going to look at judging these is um biblical support process theism does rather poorly uh like one way to put it is like if you ask just the original authors of uh any piece of scripture, if they believe process theism, it's very, very likely that they would have said no, that they would have not believed this sort of thing. Although, I mean, I don't know if you can even make sense of like inerrancy on process theism. Like should, if you are a process theist, should you be going to scripture for like theological support in the first place? Cause like God can't guarantee that the Bible um, has like true theology. I mean, it can only like raise the probability. So maybe the process theist wouldn't even, um, agree to the project of looking to the Bible to um, make sense of the way God runs the world but setting that aside uh, God in the Bible is very powerful, able to do whatever he pleases so yeah, uh, the Bible mm-hmm. seems to be slightly inconsistent with process theism divine determinism, it has some things going for it, uh, it can make sense of prophecy like um, one prophecy, Jesus tells Peter Excuse me, uh, Jesus tells Peter that he, uh, he would betray, betray him three times before the rooster crows. And it's very, um, you can make sense of this because essentially the one possible future that had to unfold, uh, Peter denies Jesus three times in it. So Jesus just told him that. Hmm. There's also some verses that like seem to support God's complete and total providence over man, like verses about God directing one's footsteps or uh, here's Proverbs 21 verse one, the King's heart is in the hand of the Lords in the hands of the Lord, like channels of water. He turns it wherever he wants. I mean, on its own. Yeah. That seems to point towards like the kind of complete and total control, that divine determinism says. And what I'm going to go through is like point out that each of these verses Each of these um, views, they do have like, besides process theism, besides, I'm talking too fast, besides process theism, each of these views do have like individual portions of scripture that they could point to to say, hey, my view makes the best sense of this portion of scripture. Mm -hmm. Uh, The next one is open theism. There is some support like where God appears to change his mind or um, like be talked in or talked out of doing a particular course of action by humans like in Exodus 32, verses 9 to 14. um, That's uh, the passage where essentially the Lord was willing to, uh, he was ready to just destroy the entire Israelite nation, but Moses talked him out of it. And it's like, well, if God already knew the future that he wasn't going to destroy the Israelites, why would he need Moses to talk him out of it? Just on its face of it, open theism seems to make sense of this scripture best. Now, simple foreknowledge, because God can't actually appeal to his knowledge of the future, or like he can't actually use it to make any sort of uh, decision about the way the future is going to be, it could co-opt all these open theistic verses. But it could also make sense of any um, claim in scripture of God's knowledge of the future. If it, anywhere it looks like God's claiming to know the future, the simple is could agree with it, and agree with all the uh, parts where it looks like God does not know the future, because God doesn't actually use any of that um, knowledge of the future in any of his decisions. Now, Molinism, it can, uh, it can be used to formulate like freedom respecting versions of Christian doctrines, like um, the doctrine of election that Calvinists uh, espouse uh, Molinist, Molinism can make sense of that without meaning to taint free will at all, as well as it can make sense of uh, perseverance of the saints or, the Doctrine of Inspiration. I'm not going to get um, into too deeply how they do that, but Molinism is famously good at providing explanations of various Christian doctrines that are uh, scripturally based. It could also co-opt divine determinism. Like um, on Molinism, it could explain how uh, God uh, channels the hearts of a king like uh, water and turns it wherever he wants. And it could also explain Prophecy; it doesn't have the same circular problems, circularity problems that simple foreknowledge has. And finally, there is an explicit use of counterfactual knowledge, the kind of um, knowledge that Molinism posits that God has. However, it does it does rest on the assumption that we have libertarian free will for this to actually be evidence of Molinism? Like it's not just that. We have uh, God has counterfactual knowledge. It's, he has counterfactual knowledge of indeterministic free decisions. In First Samuel chapter twenty-three, verse eleven to thirteen, basically God asks, um, or sorry, D- King David asks God, if I stay in the city, will they betray me or not? And he uh, God tells David, if you stay in the city, they would betray you. So then, King David leaves the city before they have a chance to do that that um if we have libertarian free will open theism or simple foreknowledge couldn't actually explain this sort of prophecy unless god's like speaking probabilistically maybe he's just telling king david oh yeah there's a 99.9 percent chance that they would betray you or something but if you just like read it straightforwardly as god um prophesying to david i mean he's not prophesying the future he's prophesying a counterfactual future so then this is best ex- this would be best explained by Molinism.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, so when we judge all of these, I, I actually do think Molinism still comes out on top because it co ops the divine determinist um, verses and it has it really well explains a lot of different Christian doctrines and it does have its own like unique scriptural support. So I do think it comes out on top, but I'm gonna admit this is way less of an obvious win. Um, Every side does have something they could point to as like a reason why they should actually come out on top.
1: Mm. Yeah, I think I share similar intuitions with you. Like when I read scripture holistically squared, when I think about it, I see like a very strong emphasis in like the sovereignty of God and God having a plan and things coming out like according to his will. But then there's also, like, it seems like a very strong emphasis on human responsibility and human decisions and things like that. Mm-hmm. So if you, like, Molinism can explain both of these things, like, to me, that seems like a win for Molinism. And I think it'd also be, like, a win for, like, something like simple foreknowledge as well, uh, a view that can, like, preserve, like, the sovereignty of God and have God's plan, but also have, like, human freedom. So I think that's the data that we're looking at. Mm-hmm. It, to me, is most obvious when we look at the biblical text.
0: Yeah. And I think I could actually... Um, I'm going through this a lot faster than I thought, so I think I could actually spend some time to explain, like... Um, the sort of um, freedom, I I call them freedom respecting doctrines. Basically um, there's this doctrine of election, like uh, God chose before uh, even creating anyone who would end up uh, being elected uh, to eternal salvation. And how do you make sense? Like we have free will if that's true? Well, Molinism can explain, yes, God just knows which circumstances we would freely put our faith in Christ so God's election consists of uh, making, bringing about those circumstances, so He could actually He can choose who like who is elected or who is not elected to salvation, while nonetheless um, ensuring our free will. And this doesn't. I think this actually has fewer soteriological problems because you could also explain why not everybody was elected to salvation more easily. Like there just wasn't a world feasible to God where everyone was elected. Or, um, perseverance of the saints. Uh, some people believe that we don't ever like a Christian won't ever fall away once they're saved. Um, however, that's hard to see how you could square that with free will. Cause if I have free will, don't I have the freedom to fall away? If I so chose, well, a Molinist could say you do, but God just make sure that those circumstances never fall, never come to pass. So yeah, you can get perseverance of the saints and, uh, libertarian free will. And by the way, I'm not subscribing to any of these doctrines. I'm just saying that for every, like, problematic uh, free will Christian doctrine, every, sorry, every Christian doctrine that seems to become problematic when you introduce free will, Molinism can offer a great account of it. Uh, Inspiration, how did God inspire the text? Well, if God wanted... Uh, Paul to write down a particular sentence he could have just actualized a circumstance wherein Paul freely chose to write that sentence so then Paul did freely choose how to write the Bible but it was still inspired by God God got exactly the sort of text that he wanted Um, oh and I need to clarify that when I say like God put Paul in the proper circumstance that circumstance would have required or sorry would have included um, the Holy Spirit's guidance I'm not like denying that uh, the Holy Spirit would have guided Paul, but uh, you can very clearly see how you could get a um, a doctrine of inspiration that respects human freedom.
1: Yeah, I think it's great squared. And I think that um, we're doing a great job like trying to show with like Molism. like there's a lot of, um, I'm not there yet, maybe one day, but I think there's a lot of things with Molism where like we can get a lot of what other views are trying to get at, but also like not like totally sacrifice other things. Like thinking about Calvinism, like um, you can try to get like with Monism a lot of like what Calvinism Calvin- Calvinism emphasizes, with, like the sovereignty of God um, and his plan on and things like that, but without like sacrificing like all like human responsibility and choice and things like that. So I think that's yeah, that's great. So mm-hmm. do you have anything else you want to say, or do you want to talk about how they match up now with perfect being theism?
0: Yeah, I think we could go on to uh, perfect being theism. So how great is our God? Well, uh, different views have uh, slightly different answers on uh, process theism. Well, here let me uh, first say, basically, I think it is a virtue of your theology if it makes God able to do more things, if it makes God more powerful, um, then it would be more in line with the idea of like a perfect being. So essentially, what I'm going to ask is, if um, God wanted X, how how um, good would he be at? being able to bring about the fulfillment of this desire. On process theism, God would not be very good at being able to fulfill his desires to bring about um, the fulfillment of his desires because he can't actually guarantee anything. He can only make things more probable. On open theism, God God would be way better, but I mean, he would often get unlucky, like free creatures would have made poor decisions that he didn't see coming. Uh, So, he would be way better at get, being able to uh, get what he desires because I mean he's omnipotent, but he would still he's not one hundred percent all the way there yet, so to speak.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Sorry for the background noise. Um, simple foreknowledge. I, I I've been talking I've been stating that um, God that um, sorry I've been talking about how simple foreknowledge from a providential point of view, is the same as open theism. There are uh, theologians who try to give the uh, simple foreknowledge view of God um, a couple of perks or how abilities with regard to predestination, with regards to running the world, that you wouldn't get on open theism. Um, Excuse me. One that I like to think of is, like, um, maybe... Uh, Jesus could have predicted um, that Peter would have denied him three times in one year. So it's a prediction of the future. If Peter was one light year away, and then uh, that would have actually, you can't actually form an explanatory circle because of that if like causation is limited to the speed of light. And like, that's a really weird circumstance. I'm not getting into that. Uh, deeply enough to like actually like get the, into the formal logic of why that um, why on simple foreknowledge you could, God could prophesy that or Jesus could prophesy that without explanatory loops. But what I'm trying to get at is that on simple foreknowledge, there seem to be like really weird circumstances where God has slightly more ability to bring to like predict the future or bring about the circumstances than he wants, but they're limited to like such these bizarre circumstances that it barely gives any advantage. So simple foreknowledge is only like a hair's breadth um, stronger than the open theist version of God in terms of getting, bringing about what he desires. Although maybe you think that it actually does correlate with uh, perfect being theism better, just in virtue of the fact that God has more knowledge, which I I could get behind that. But in terms of just like straight power, it's only like a hair's breadth better. I don't know how easy that was to follow. Are Are you tracking with me, Zach?
1: yeah I mean I think it helped me thinking about like how you're gonna say that Mollenism is like just a hairs different than like open theism um well,
0: simple foreknowledge
1: so, so, yeah sorry simple foreknowledge um but exactly like how that's working, I'm not completely tracking with you on well, that
0: basically so um here uh we have a bit of time so I could talk about that a bit fuller so um uh let let's go with um the story of um jesus t- tells Peter hey. You're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And then Peter denies Jesus three times before the rooster crows. On open theism, this is really hard to explain. We'll start with open theism. On open theism, this is really hard to explain because, I mean, how did Jesus know this? Uh, Peter all, at any point had the ch- decision, like the possible ability to just deny Jesus maybe two times or four times. How specific, like, if Peter had only denied Jesus two times, would, like, God have intervened to force Peter to deny him a third time? Like, how does that work? It it was, it it seems that open theism doesn't handle this passage very well. On simple foreknowledge, you think, oh, yeah, you know, God just looks into the future. Like, Jesus, we we could think of Jesus, he just looks over there at the future, and he sees, oh, yeah, Peter's denying me three times in the future, so I'm going to go tell peter that he's denying me three times uh, in the future however let's think about that future that jesus is looking at and that future that jesus is looking at there's peter who is denying jesus for very particular reasons it has to do with his psychological state at the time and his free decisions right mm-hmm. but um his psychological state at the time one of the things that's going to be influence it is the memory of being prophesied to by Jesus.
1: Mm-hmm,
0: okay. So when Jesus is looking over at Peter and making his decision based off of that, Peter is already, like, his, his composition, his uh, psychological composition at the time, is based off of, uh, sorry about that, it, it's based off of his prophecy of, uh, of Peter denying him. So Jesus' prophecy is dependent on itself. It's based off of a future wherein Jesus prophesies. Mm-hmm. Does that
1: make sense? Yeah, I think I'm interacting with you a little bit better now. Um, so yeah, I think that's good.
0: Now, say, uh, like, basically, you, you'd you be very hard-pressed to avoid this problem um, because any any time that God gives a prophecy, that's going to have a huge effect on history. And so then it's going to, so to speak, be built in to the future that that prophecy was given. So whenever you prophesy... Or, so whenever on simple foreknowledge, if God gave a prophecy, that prophecy would be dependent upon itself. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, however, if the prophecy is about something that can't possibly affect it, like say um, Jesus prophet, like we could, we could have it um, say that there are two planets a light year apart. Okay. Uh, planet A and planet B. And Jesus is on planet A and he prophecies to you what the free decision of a person on planet B, what, what they will freely choose in one year. That is a prophecy of a future because that hasn't happened yet. And there isn't any sort of explanatory dependence because that future, wherein on planet B, somebody um, freely makes a free decision. the um, There's no cause and effect relationship that could get that information, that could get any sort of effect from that to Earth in time. It's completely, mm-hmm. so to speak, untouched by Jesus's prophecy for one year, because of the speed of light um, limit. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think I'm tracking with you.
0: So then, uh, Jesus in that scenario can predict the future of Planet B one year in advance because of the one-year delay of any sort of interactions that these two planets can have. Uh, th- that's a very weird scenario that I don't think there's any correlation to that on Earth. But I mean, it is something that's. It is a um, a benefit that simple fore uh, that simple foreknowledge has, and open theism lacks.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So technically, the uh, simple foreknowledge God is better at um, being able to fulfill his desires if he wants to predict, I guess, uh, the futures of planets with uh, light speed. I mean, there are other scenarios that simple foreknowledgeists have pointed to. Um, like playing rock, paper, scissors with Satan. But again, these are all really weird scenarios.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think that, um, yeah, for for every practical scenario, it seems that they, they'd be essentially the same.
1: Okay. Well, thanks for that. Maybe you want to talk about now um, perfect game well, theism now? Oh, sorry. We, we're still on
0: that. Uh, we went through, um, we're basically talking about how, like how uh, well they grasp omnipotence or how well they grasp omniscience. And yeah. So, like, if uh, essentially what I'm saying is that if a uh, a theory of foreknowledge says God can do more, then it is a better it aligns better with perfect theism, perfect being theism, because it has a stronger view of God or a more knowledgeable view of God if it aligns better with our kind of concept of omniscience and God knows more things. Okay. So, yeah, that's why I was talking about um, prophesying about planets one light year apart because uh simple foreknowledge god can do that open theist god can't do that so simple foreknowledge god is stronger at, and that so a stronger god um is a is better more in line with our intuitions about perfection and omnipotence
1: hmm. okay sorry i was for some reason my mind space was that we're just talking about biblical support so i'm sorry oh, i no. apologize
0: um yeah yeah No. um we're, we're, we're Yeah, we're moved on. Uh, <laughs> so and, we're
1: saying simple foreknowledge God is going to be able to predict things, like, say, in, like, other worlds, um, so that's going to give it an advantage in terms of, like, thinking about, like, power and knowledge over an yeah. open-theist God.
0: Or, I mean, it technically, I mean, I don't even think that scenario works because I think, angel, like, if angels can travel faster than the speed of light or, like, can interact with um, different parts of our universe and aren't bound right by relativistic concerns, well, then, I mean... Even that scenario doesn't work, but um, because then the prophecy would affect the angels or demons or whatever. And then there, you would still get the sor- sort of circularity. But like I'm saying in principle, there are scenarios where the simple foreknowledge God has uh, more abilities.
1: Mm-hmm. So to speak. Okay. yeah, that's great.
0: Um, now, now we turn to uh, the, the big players in the game, the reviews the, the where God has zero risks and can just get what he wants. One God can get, um, he can just look at every feasible world and see, hey, hey, uh, do I like this feasible world or not? And if so, he just actualizes it and he doesn't have any risks. He knows the end from the beginning, unless you, of course, endorse the theodicy, like the co-opted open theism theodicy I said at the beginning, but I don't. I I like the theodicy I gave in my video. So I think God just sees a feasible world and from the beginning, take zero risk. He's just like, I like that one. Of course, though, however, um, there might it might be that all the feasible worlds uh, are just terrible. So God can't actually get the feasible world he wants. He really wanted a world wherein um, everybody just freely chooses to worship him without ever needing to experience any suffering for all of eternity with free will, the free will to be able to rebel against him, and they just never choose that ever. But unfortunately, no feasible world has that. So um, God... God is a hair's breadth the way of getting what he wants without any ifs, ands, or buts. On divine determinism, though, I mean, there's no free will to um, actually complicate things. So God can get whatever he wants, no ifs, ands, or buts. Yeah, um, it, so on divine determinism, God has the greatest ability to fulfill his desires. Mm-hmm. Now, so that, that would mean that divine determinism actually comes in first. Except not actually, Zach. I've tricked you. Divine determinism is disqualified because it's been found to possess performance-enhancing metaphysics. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's an amazing joke. Basically, open theism, simple foreknowledge, and Molinism all agree that if the kind of thing that they like God would wanted to create was deterministic or compatibilistic uh, humans, he could. Uh, open theism, simple foreknowledge, Molinism, yeah, God can totally get what he wants without if, ands, or buts, but God just didn't decide to make those kinds of humans. So, like, every possibility that the divine determinist believes in everything God could have done on divine determinism, the open theist God will also say God could have done. So, so imagine deterministic world X, divine determinist God could make it, so could the open theist God. The open theist God what the open theists will say is that God didn't make that because free will is so awesome and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, they there isn't any increase in power here because everything the divine determinist God could do, the open theist God could do, or or the simple foreknowledge God, or the Molinist God. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. So then, uh, yeah, d- divine determinism actually gets uh, knocked down a few pegs to e- to below open theism. Is everything that the d- divine determinist God could do is a proper subset of the things that the open theist God could do. Like, the uh, most um, divine determinists I've talked to would say that God can't actually create creatures with indeterministic free will. So then, actually, the open theist God's stronger. He can do more things mm. create deterministic humans and indeterministic humans. But mm-hmm. wait. If um, divine determinism just got um, bumped down to, like, what? Fourth place? Um, What jumps up to first place? Well, oh yeah, that was Molinism because Molinism (laughs) was in second place so far. So Molinism is now in first place. Molinism has the highest view of what God could actually bring about with libertarian free creatures.
1: Mm. I really like this. I haven't, I feel like I've had this intuition for a while, Square, but I've never really thought this whole thing through. Um, So I really like what you're saying because a lot of like my Calvinist friends and people like that will say like, well, it's just impossible for God to create creatures um, who have freedom and God also to have like some sort of like exhaustive foreknowledge. And what you're saying mm-hmm. is like, well, that's the same thing the open theist is saying as well. Um, so it, for the Calvinists, like they don't, you know, they want to be, um, they don't want to be on the same ground as the open theist. At least that's what they would say. So we're gonna have this big issue. And yeah, it seems like it's a big advantage for monism. So I really like what you're saying here. I hadn't really mm-hmm. thought about it that way, but like to me, it's like, oh, light bulb just went on. That makes a lot more sense. Um, how you flesh it out?
0: Good. I was hoping for that. Yeah. So. So far, we've had um, for Problem of Evil, it seems that Molinism comes in first because it could co-opt any other theodicy that appears at first glance to depend on another view. If you you create a theodicy that looks like it depends on open theism or divine determinism, no, it doesn't. Molinism can make sense of it, and there are theodicies that can depend on Molinism, so Molinism comes out on top in terms of theodicies. Uh, Biblical support, uh, both me and Zach have the intuitions. It seems that Molinism wins out um, there, but it is it is more it's much more close of a race because um, every view has their passages that they could point to, and in terms of perfect being theism, uh, it seems that Molinism is actually best in line, best fits with our intuitions about omnipotence because the Molinist God is so to speak the strongest uh, view of God out there the more the one who's the most able to fulfill the desi- his Desires. Um, you could also like make an argument that the Molinist God has uh, fits better with our intuitions about omniscience because um, the uh, Open Theist God, he doesn't know the future, and it would be fit more in line with our omni- our understanding of omniscience if a, um, our intuitions about a perfect being and omniscience, if they could know more things. So, uh, simple foreknowledge God, that's even better because he knows more stuff. And so, then a Molinist God would be at the far end, and even Know even more things about indeterministic uh, situations and have the most, or counterfactual indeterministic situations that have the most knowledge. So Molinism still comes out on top in first perfect being these. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: Talking
0: talking too fast for my own good.
1: How do you do it? Don't become become like me. Well, I don't. I just do it wrong and I'm trying to slow down. So um,
0: (laughs) I love it. I just talk
1: too fast and it it goes poorly. See, uh,
0: another YouTube video. Other YouTube videos, I have to like uh, turn on two times speed so that I could like get through it with um, the limited free time I have. But for you, no, I don't have to do that, just let you talk.
1: (laughs) I guess I just naturally operate on two times speed, which is what I'm proud of, and we're working on it and you know, we're fighting the battle. But for for the time being, you're just gonna have to deal with me just spitting out words like that. So, um, this is what it is. Okay, so uh, the last category
0: it's gonna take a look at was. The philosophical baggage of uh the competing views and i think you yeah, know i got through this stuff quicker than i expected so we might not even need 60 minutes so process theism what's the philosophical baggage of process theism you know i haven't looked into process theism as much as the other views because i mean i'm pretty sold on uh god being all powerful and not mean to just rely on like probability so i'm not as familiar with process the process theism so I'm not going to say too much here. What I would say is, it doesn't seem like a very simple theory. Like a perfect being seems to be a more simple theory than a being which is perfect in all respects except omniscience. Mm-hmm. Like perfect being being theism, <coughs> excuse me, has this kind of uh, perk of just being all unified around perfection. And, you know, perfect the process theism doesn't have that. So, yeah,
1: mm-hmm.
0: that is... Uh, Divine determinism, Uh, what's the philosophical baggage of that? Well, there isn't any libertarian free will, which is kind of annoying. I mean, we kind of like our libertarian free will. It seems pretty intuitive that we have that stuff. But, you know, divine determinism just uh, flat out rejects it. It also leads to modal collapse. Basically, words like possibly or necessarily, they don't really mean much. In fact, we should just get rid of them because they don't really mean anything beyond what just actually, the word actually means. If I could say that something could happen on divine determinism or that it must happen on divine determinism or that it is happening on divine determinism, those three sets of things all just completely overlap. There isn't anything that could happen but didn't actually happen, And there isn't anything that actually happened that didn't necessarily have to happen. So Mm -hmm. there isn't these different categories of necessary and uh, possibly and actual. They all just collapse into the same category. But then we have all these intuitions about the nature of possibility that is distinct from actuality. And all these intuitions just get thrown into the trash because, no, uh, there is no such thing as uh, other possible futures or other, sorry, not other possible ways the world could have been. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think I'm tracking okay. with you.
0: And when I say, does that make sense? Is it, I'm not asking, are you smart enough to understand this? I'm asking, like, am I coming across clearly?
1: Yeah, I think you are. I, mm, I'm i a little, I'm a tiny bit lost with where we are exactly. Oh, philosophical um, baggage of the views. Well, yeah, I know I know we're on philosoph- oh, okay. <laughs> oh, yep. my goodness. Um, philosophical baggage. Yeah, I know we're there.
0: Okay so one of the so I'm just saying one of the, one piece of the philosophical baggage that divine determinism has is that it has to throw out the distinction between necessary and possibly an actual which is bad because we have all these intuitions about um, the, their distinctions so it's a okay. one, yeah, one exactly, piece of its baggage yeah. yeah is that we have to throw out those intuitions
1: Yeah that's clear so yeah I think that's clear Okay good uh, open theism
0: This is a piece of baggage to me, at least. Future tense propositions have no truth. Like if I say, "I will go to the gym tomorrow," um, it, that's not that's neither true nor false on open theism. Or um, if it's not, if it does have a truth value, then God's just ignorant of it. Well, that that would be terrible. So it, it seems that the open theist has to say that these um, sorts of sentences just don't have a truth value.
1: Mm. so yeah gets uh, clear
0: yeah i think that but that's weird though because if i it seems like when i uh, when i like say i'm at the gym tomorrow and i'm thinking back about the stream and i'm like yeah that statement i would go I'm, i will go to the gym tomorrow that turned out to be a true statement no the open theist has to deny that that statement was not a true statement at least when it was spoken but no it seems like i did speak a true statement without knowing it even though like, I couldn't be certain of it because the future hadn't unfolded yet. So, yeah, that, that seems to be a piece of baggage. And there's also another problem. You could say either it is the case that I will go to the uh, go to the gym tomorrow or it is not the case that I will go to the gym tomorrow. It seems that that's not just true, it's, like, necessarily true. However, if the two conjuncts of that, or not conjuncts, disjuncts of that are... Um, they don't have a truth value, then how could the overall proposition that like put an or in between them be true? Does that make sense?
1: Um, Maybe be a little more specific what's going on here because I think I'm tracking with you, but I'm not completely on the same page. Oh,
0: okay. If I say A or B, that means that one of them has to be true, right? If Mm -hmm. if A or B is true, then A is true or B is true. So then I say uh, either I will go to the gym tomorrow or I will not go to the gym tomorrow. That's, mm-hmm. that's obviously true. I mean, it, uh, that that seems to just be, you know, obvious. However, I'm making a statement, A or B. And what the, um, the open theist is trying to tell me is that A isn't tr- uh, true or false and B isn't true or false, but A okay. or B is somehow true. Mm hmm. So, okay.
1: That's clear. Yeah, that helps.
0: Yeah. So I don't, I, that seems a little weird to me. Um, And also, not just this, you can do all the same sorts of arguments about counterfactuals. Like, if I was an Olympic bodybuilder, I would go to the gym tomorrow. Like, that's a counterfactual statement. And same sorts of problems. It seems like that is true. And you can make the statement like, hey, either I would go to the gym if I was an Olympic bodybuilder, or I would not go to the gym if I was an Olympic bodybuilder. Mm -hmm. same, Same sort of issues about counterfactuals. In, uh, that future tense propositions have. Finally, a piece of open, um, baggage that open theism has is that it relies on presentism, the idea that only the present exists, which I mean, I, I myself lean towards presentism. However, I mean, if you make your view dependent upon these other um, more sketchy philosophical grounds, then that's going to be a ding against your view because you have to not only convince somebody of open theism, but have to
1: convince them of
0: presentism. Does that make sense?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, for like so for open theism, like you have to be committed to presentism, but that's a big debate. So we can't really any of you that has to commit to that is going to be cost.
0: Yeah, Uh, simple foreknowledge. It seems to it's very similar to um, open theism, but it seems to be a bit better. It would they can actually say future tense propositions about what will happen. um, They do have uh, truth values. However, counterfactual scenarios do not have truth values, like what would happen if I was a bodybuilder. And I think that that's more intuitive. It's less clear that there are um, truth values about indeterministic, counterfactual situations than the future, because I mean, we eventually get to live in uh, what was once the future. We never get to live in what was once counterfactual. Mm -hmm. Um, And also simple, simple foreknowledge, kind of the opposite of open theism. Relies on eternalism. It relies on the idea that the um, past, present, and future all exist. And I mean, maybe you could say, like, you could combine these views into, like, um, schmopen in simple foreknowledgeism. I don't know. <laughs> and you could say, like, hey, if presentism is true, then I'm an open theist. But if simple foreknowledge is true, I'm an it's et- or, or if it- eternalism is true, I'm a simple foreknowledgeist. And so then you don't have to take a stance on one of them. And it's providentially caches out to be the same thing. So yeah, you just kind of can remove the commitment to a particular theory of time there.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Now, on Molinism, you have three big problems. Um, It seems that like Molinism is usually thought to come in dead blast when it comes to philosophical baggage, which overrides how well it does in every other, um, uh, category. So Mm -hmm. let's look at those three problems. The first is what grounds the truth of the counterfactuals. This is called the grounding objection. So like if I say, um, Zach from adherent apologetics exists like that proposition, what makes it true? well, it would be Zach, right? Zach is mm-hmm. the thing that makes that proposition true. And uh, he doesn't, so, so to speak, cause it to be true, but he nonetheless makes it true somehow. There isn't, um, the proposition isn't just true and floating out there with, completely dis- disconnected from reality with its truth. No, every proposition that, tr- that it is true is true because there's something making it true. This is, and how you exactly c- uh, cash out how propositions are made true is called your truth maker theory. Mm-hmm. So, the idea with um, Molinism is that there isn't anything that could serve as a truth maker to the proposition that Sally would do X in circumstances C. If Sally doesn't exist, well, maybe I'll use a, a, um, a character who doesn't actually exist Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes would do X in circumstances C. Sherlock Holmes does not, in fact, exist. So, there's nothing to ground the proposition that Sherlock Holmes would do X in C.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Now, I'm I'm not a professional philosopher, but my take on what's actually going on here is that um, there's kind of a fast one being pulled on all of these people who raise the grounding objection to Molinism. Basically, there's a very narrow view of truth-maker theory um, that is sometimes espoused. And on this view of truth-maker theory, like this narrow view that certain philosophers espouse. It's only like an existing thing, which can serve as a truth maker, like a concrete object that exists or an abstract object that exists. So maybe two plus two equals four. That's the, um, what grounds the truth of that proposition is an abstract object. And, um, the thing that grounds the proposition that Zach exists, that's the existing object of Zach. So everything that does exist is, um, its truth is grounded by an existing object. Um, and that's, that kind of view, it would make Molinism false. Okay. That, that particular, um, view of proposition or truth-maker yeah, that particular truth-maker theory would make Molinism false. However, that particular, uh, truth-maker theory is, is itself false because there are some propositions that, um, this truth-maker theory is too narrow to be able to explain what makes them true. Like the proposition that there is no Baal, like the the pagan god Baal, there is no such thing as him. What grounds that proposition? It can't be some existing thing. I mean, everything which isn't Baal isn't doing any sort of work grounding Baal's non-existence and Baal himself doesn't exist. So there isn't really any candidate for what could ground that proposition's truth. So then it seems that, okay, this this really narrow view of truth-maker theory is false. And then it's like, okay, so what truth-maker theory is true? And what the um, those who raise the grounding objection say is, well, maybe we don't know, but it's definitely something that excludes the possibility of counterfactuals being grounded. <laughs> it's just something... Whatever is the sort of things that um, do ground the truths of propositions, it's definitely not anything that the Molinists could use to um, ground the truth of counterfactuals of creaturely freedom. And what mm-hmm. I'm going to say is, like, see... Um, the things that seem to ground the uh, ground proposition, the things that seem to make propositions true, are just uh, states of affairs or features of reality. It's Like, what's a state of, of affair? What's a feature of reality? I don't know. It's kind of like basically primitive. I can't define it much more than that. It's just like a feature of reality. So, what what's the um, what grounds the proposition that Zach exists? Well, it's the state of affairs or the feature of reality that Zach exists. What's, mm-hmm. What grounds the um, proposition that two plus two equals four? Well, the state of affairs that two plus two equals four. Okay, what grounds the state of affairs that Sherlock Holmes would do X in circumstances C? Well, just the, sta- the future of reality or the state of affairs that Sherlock Holmes would do X in circumstances C. What makes it true that Sherlock Holmes does X in circumstances C? That Sherlock Holmes does X in circumstances C. That's what grounds it. It's not, it doesn't have to be some existing thing. So that that's what I would say to the grounding objection. Does that make sense?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're just gonna say like I said, like it makes sense in my mind. I just I'm I'm having a hard time putting it into words. Um, you're looking at like the state of affairs and like that state of affairs. Like we can have an explanation like just in that state of affairs um, to kind of solve the grounding objection.
0: Yeah. There's also I I don't want to. Okay. I'm getting a little out of um, my area of expertise. But I remember reading about. Uh, the disquotation quotation principle, like what grounds, uh, Sherlock Holmes would do X in circumstances C it's Sherlock Holmes would do X in circumstances C. You just take the quotes away and that's what makes the proposition true. What grounds quotes two plus two equals four. Oh, what grounds that, or what makes that proposition t- true? The proposition in quotes is two plus two equals four. You just take the quotes away and that's what grounds it. Boom. Okay. So then there's another, um, The the second big problem for Molinism, the second big philosophical conundrum is like, how does God know these counterfactuals? Okay, so let's just grant for the sake of argument here, even though I've just totally proven it, that there are these counterfactuals Mm -hmm. of creaturely freedom that are true and that the the, the grounding objection doesn't work. Okay, how does God get these into his mind? How does he know them? And I would say that, okay, every... um, Divine or like every sorry, everybody in this um debate uh, process theolog or process theism, uh, open theism, divine determinism, simple foreknowledge, and molinism they all have to say that God somehow just gets direct access to some proposition, like maybe uh, the proposition that he exists. How does God get that? I mean, there isn't like, he doesn't have like eyes that he could use to like observe. His body, which he also doesn't have, or like nerves or anything, he doesn't have any sense, like any sense sensory apparatus to um, make observations about the world. It seems that some propositions he has to just get their truth value automatically, like they just have to kind of be given to him somehow by some mysterious faculty that just gives him this knowledge. And I'm I'm okay with that mystery, but I'm gonna say like, hey. If God gets knowledge of some things by just direct awareness, I mean, a perfect being would seem to just get all such truths by that direct awareness. Like every proposition, it's truth is just laid before the mind of God. And he doesn't have to reason towards any proposition. It's truth is just there before him. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. You're just saying like God, when we're looking at like how he knows, he's like, everything is just in front of God. Like he just, like, there's not really an issue with saying God can just know these things. He's a perfect being.
0: Yeah, and the um, uh, theologians watching this might cry foul. It's like, you haven't given me an explanation of how God knows these things. It's like, um, how would you, uh, you just said that he does because he's omniscient? Well, hold on. What I'm saying is that God needs to have some sort of faculty by which he directly is aware of some, of, um, some propositions. OK, and we're all committed to that. If you want to dispute that and explain how we're not committed to that. Fine. We, can, we you could um, tell me how you how you get around this. But it, it seems like we're all committed to God being directly aware of some propositions. OK, so that means he has some way of becoming directly aware of some propositions without needing to like observe it or something. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, then he has this some sort of faculty of ter- becoming directly aware of things. Okay, so I'm just going to say, as a Molinist, that he uses this faculty to get all his knowledge, to just mm-hmm. become directly aware of all truths, including counterfactuals of creaturely freedom. Yeah. Okay. Hey, okay, it looks like we'll be uh, done around 60, 60 minutes because this mm-hmm. last objection, um, I'm not going to get into it here. It's incredibly complicated. Well, it. it it's, okay, it's mediumly complicated to explain, and I find quite complicated to actually work through. Um, basically, Philip Swenson, I think that's his name. I, I didn't actually double-check that I got his name right. I'm going from memory. Um, he created, a, or he developed an argument uh, where that Molinism has um, this sort of circularity problems that simple foreknowledge has. The basic idea is that, like, before I'm even created... There's a counterfactual of creaturely freedom about what I would do in a given circumstance. And then God uh, creates me because he likes, uh, because of his knowledge of that counterfactual of creaturely freedom. And then my actual decision in that circumstance then partly explains the truth of the counterfactual. So then you can get the circle of explanation. The counterfactual is um, true. So God makes a world based off of that. And then, because I'm in that world, I make a decision, which then grounds the counterfactual, and we're back at square one. So we have a circle of explanation. That's the basic idea. i um, I think you can get around to that. I'm not going to get into. I, I want to point the viewers t- to this argument because I think it is a probably one of the most formidable objections to Molinism, but. I think it would like deserve its own one hour video to go through it. And in fact, I think that um, Kirk McGregor and Tim Stratton have done a couple of videos on this on the uh, YouTube channel, free thinking ministries. So if you want to look more into that particular objection, they have some responses to it there, but yeah, that's a, that's another, I think that's um, if we're like going with the biggest problems in Molinism, that's definitely one of them. So yeah, that Mm -hmm. is, that's what I have. Uh, yeah, I'm now done with like the uh, philosophical baggage of Molinism. So mm-hmm. I think it probably does have the um, the most that um, that needs to be explained out of the other views. It doesn't mean it has the biggest bullets to bite. I think divine determinism with its lack of libertarian free will and its modal collapse is probably actually worse. But I mean, Molinism definitely does. It, it definitely ha- has some explaining to do. You sure have some explaining to do, Molinism, yeah.
1: (laughs) Sing it. So, yeah, I mean, I think this is great. I'm thinking about just – and sorry, my mind's been a little off during this podcast, and I apologize to everyone listening. Um, But, like, when I think about, like, Molinism and the problem of evil, like, I do think that, like – I think it does a good job explaining the problem of evil because of what you said. Like, it it can explain um, and use a lot of different theodicies that different views would have. Um, I think there's good biblical support as well because we're going to have this idea of, like, I think any of you, where you're going to have like a high view of like God's foreknowledge and God's plan, and also like human freedom, I think any of you like that is going to be most consistent with the biblical data. So that's like either like monism or simple foreknowledge. I think this is the best with biblical support, in my opinion, uh, of being an untrained dude that does this because uh, he thinks it's a really cool to think about. And then I think it matches up great with perfect being theism. And then there's obviously the grounding problem and how God knows these things. But then I think that you know other views as well we could point to different issues with different models of god so yeah i think it's great and i think molinism is definitely like a very strong player in the problem evil helps to illustrate that
0: yeah so uh do you still have reservations about being a molinist or have it converted yet
1: it's i mean for me my big thing is and maybe we should maybe we should do another episode about this probably not the time to do it is i have a hard time thinking about like just these counterfactuals existing and this is probably just me with my brain but i'm just like when i think i'm like counterfactuals exist i'm like okay well where are they and obviously they don't like actually exist as like rocks or things sitting around corners but for me it's just hard for my mat and to get exactly around the idea of counterfactuals and like their I mean, i'd
0: love to take just like a couple of minutes to just uh talk about this less me presenting more just a conversation if you'd like to do that
1: sure i have a few more minutes
0: okay so um where do these counterfactuals exist i think that um we we talk about them as like the, this the, this uh, group of things out there, but it's really just a sort of proposition, and the way that they exist, well, that's just going to uh, depend on your view of propositions in general. But Molinism doesn't require a particular stance on how um, propositions work. You could be a Platonist, and mm-hmm. uh, with excuse me, with regards to propositions, and then all the propositions, including. Uh, counterfactuals of creaturely freedom exist in the platonic realm H- however you could also be like me and just be a nominalist and think that um propositions they don't exist in the sense that you and i exist they're just things that are or they're just true proposit um the counterfactuals of creaturely freedom are just true and i'm not in any way committed to them existing anywhere
1: mm-hmm so you just say then, like these propositions, um, we don't have to even like be committed to their like abstract because they just there and God knows them, mm-hmm. um, and that's just kind of it. And there's not like much more of a story that has to be told. Uh, yes, can be if there needs to be, but that's just that that can be it. Yeah, like um, just how
0: Molinism isn't committed to a view of time like Open Theism is. Uh, Molinism is no more committed to a view of the nature of propositions. But I will say, I will say that um, those people have, have been pushing they are uh, narrow truth makers that things that exist have to ground um, the uh, truths of propositions that uh, they would probably uh, they've gotten it seems a couple of molinists at least to want to lean towards platonism so they can they can point to the abstract objects as things that ground the truth of the counterfactuals but I'm like no, man we don't need that we could just reject their truth maker theory
1: <laughs> hmm. Well, squared. Thank you so much for coming on, man. Anything else you want to say before we wrap up here? I mean, that definitely helped a lot. And I mean, I have to think about this. Maybe I'll email you. Or we'll do another conversation or something. Uh, yeah. Maybe I'll, just, maybe I'll just shun you forever. That's another option. Um, yeah. But you definitely like you've got me thinking about Molinism, and yeah, there's a lot more to think about. So, anything else you want to say before we wrap up? Uh,
0: just I hope I was clear. Like whenever you're on these streams, you don't feel very clear, and like I'm going through. Like a lot of these things that I'm expecting the viewer to have like some background knowledge on, so I hope that was that was fairly easy to follow. This is why I like I, I generally work on um, like animated videos where I could uh, uh, make sure that there's uh, no information that the viewer needs that I didn't include. But like here, I'm I'm ca- you're kind of being thrown in the deep end in this video, so hopefully uh, it was it was easier to follow. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's definitely – I really encourage people to check out Square's channel if you want, like, more, like, visual aids and stuff. Really great channel, and it's going to be literally just added in this YouTube title. Um, or if you listen to your podcast, it, it'll be there as well in some way or shape or form. So, yeah, Square, thank you so much for joining me, man. I think it was clear. Obviously, these topics are super complex, and, mm-hmm. you know, we're only scratching the surface. But, yeah, I think it was great and for people listening. Hopefully, they can take some things away from it because I think it was great. I really enjoyed this conversation. Yay hurrah So, thank you everyone for tuning in. Encourage. You, wait, actually, since you did the intro, do you want to do the outro? Just. Oh like, no, nice. you,
0: you, I don't want to steal your entire stream. Here you go. <laughs>
1: uh, I mean, I don't really care. It's not gonna hurt my feelings, but I guess I can do the outro. You have a specific um, outro? Sorry. No, not really. I'm just like yo oh, okay. guys. What's up? Peace. Follow squared. If you want to follow me, I'd appreciate it. And yeah.
0: Oh, okay, bye. then I'll do the. I, I'll do the outro then. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> Goodbye.
1: Thank you. God bless.